that everybody here can easily understand. Do you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? What? Say what again? Say what again? I dare you. I double dare you. What we got here is a failure to communicate. Welcome to the Uncommon Communicator Podcast. Your hosts, James Gable and Brandon Thompson, are here to bring you enlightenment to the topic of communication. Good afternoon, James. How are you doing today? Doing well, Brandon. So, it's an afternoon. It is an actual afternoon. Man, we're here to talk about a topic that is all about change. Near and dear to both of our hearts, actually. Organizational change. And it, it is near and dear in that... Uh, it's been a good conversation to talk about how do we incorporate change and how do we do it effectively? How do we communicate it? And it's really kind of opened my eyes to a couple of things through our conversation earlier, just about how I'm always looking for, for organizational change and continuous improvement. Mm -hmm. Continuous improvement means that people are going to have to change. And that's really been one of the big, biggest detractors in trying to initiate this continuous improvement is because people resist change. Mm -hmm. So now what we're going to talk about is that exactly as well as an organizational change, how do we communicate it? And what are some of the pitfalls that we kind of run into when we have to, you know, be involved in that change as well as create that change ourselves. Yeah. Be involved in a change and like, you know, changes top down, right? Like it starts with one person and it goes to, you know, three other people and then three other people send it out to six other people. Um, and it's just a really big game of telephone and change is not easy and it's hard. And as a manager or as a leader, you have to effectively do it. And it's actually interesting to pull up some of the stats for change that the, the middle managers are actually the ones that are the most resistant to change. Yeah. That was kind of an eye opening statistic for me that statistic is 40 percent of mid-level managers are the most resistant Mm -hmm. group and if you look at kind of the charts for that you know even starting up at the executive level almost a 10 percent resistance to change and then you look at you know others doesn't count but the frontline employees is like 27 percent yeah but who is the most resistant but your mid-level manager right and these are the people that have probably been with the company or been doing what they're doing for you know Six months to like, let's say at least like a year or so, right? Like they're, they've probably been there for a second. They know, they know their job, right? They're, they're probably relatively good at their job if they got some kind of a promotion to be a mid-level manager. And these are now the ones that are getting told, Hey, we need you to do something different. Right. And it's like, no, actually I'm pretty good with what I'm doing right now. So 42%, I mean, kind of upgrading that to like 50%, which who knows what those numbers are exactly. That's a huge detractor of trying to create that organizational change. It is. Well, it's just like bringing in like a new manager, right? They always talk about how like there's a bunch of overturn when you bring in a new manager. And it's because again, like 40% of your mid-level managers are gone. And then I'm pretty sure that there's a good chunk of people that follow those mid-level managers, right? They're like, Oh, well, if so-and-so is not there, then I kind of don't want to work for somebody else new. And that's where you get the other like 30, like you're 27, almost 30% of your frontline employees that also just like taper off. Right. Because you don't have an, and I don't mean this isn't any kind of an insult, but you don't have this kind of an issue with new people. New people are right. You're starting fresh. They're they're learning the whole thing. They don't know any different, right? They just they just know what you've implemented, and that's just that's all they got. So you don't have that kind of an issue. So I think every time you change, you, you try and change something. You're just 
the the turnover is is always is larger than it needs to be, and it it's larger than it needs to be because nobody's addressing the appropriate person. Which at this you know based on statistics is that mid level manager. Nobody's addressing them in a way that addresses their reasons for resisting. And there are five really reasons that we'll start at the employee level. Yeah, the employee level. Why would they be resistant to change? I mean, so, and, and also just to go along before we give the five, my apologies to the shames, there were, there are percentages for employees and or managers, uh, on the chain on like what could have been avoidable, right? So it says 47% reported that over half of the employee resistance that they experienced could have been avoided, right? So 47% of employee resistance could have been avoided. Half the, like half the resistance you got didn't need to be there. Same thing for the mid-level managers. That one's at 51% because the mid-level managers are just kind of more annoying, right? You could have avoided half of your headache just just by paying attention, right? Just half your headache. So the five things that employees, like the top five things that employees complain about when it comes to being resistant for change, like just a lack of awareness or a reason for the change. The why. Just tell me why. Just tell, like, I need to know the why, right? I need to know the explanation through and through, right? They, um, with change and you said like doing things differently tends to lead to like a change in your role, right? Like you're going to have different responsibilities. You're going to have to be doing different things. Again, that can cause a problem. Um, fear is another big one. We talked about fear in our last episode, but fear of the unknown, right? Like I've never done this before. I'm a, either a, I'm a new employee or B I've been here for a little bit and I've kind of like maybe just got my feet and now you've taken the rug out from underneath my feet and I'm having to do that. Like that's a, that's a big scary thing, right? Yeah. Some people stick with jobs that they don't necessarily like because they don't want to have to go back into the job market because fear's time, man. Fear does a lot of work. Okay. Yeah. And we covered a lot of that fear in that last episode of our podcast. Yeah. A little plug for our last episode. The next one is that lack of support or trust in your leaders. So when you hear this change, you're like, why is it? Because most of the time, and I've heard this even in talking about continuous improvement or lean implementation in a company, what they're afraid of is that you're there to eliminate jobs. And that's really not the driving force behind lean. The idea of lean, how I perceive it, and this has to come from management communicating that, that item is, you know, we're doing this to make your life simpler to make your life easier, to give you more time. All of those are the reasons that should be driving this change, not just change for change's sake, which I hate the most. Just to come in and change something for the sake of change is a waste of everybody's time. I do. I wholeheartedly agree, right? Um, and then just trust in management is another like massive thing because you can have you can have a really bad manager, right? And you, even when that bad manager gets replaced, when you replace that manager with somebody else, the trust in that position is not there, right? You gave this title to that, you know, bozo over there. You, you've now given the title to somebody else. Why is that somebody else any different than this other bozo, right? Yeah. And that part of that trust is you have to earn it, right? You, it, don't, you don't just get it from the position, but a good leader can come in and build trust pretty quickly. But are they just putting in uh, Cousin Leroy because he needed a job? Sometimes that's the case where they're giving these positions to people and there isn't ever going to be any trust involved. Right. It's, it's like, I've been working here, fam. You just got here and I understand that you got the title, but like I've been here the whole time and I know what's going on. I know what's going on. I'm doing my job. Trust and management is a massive thing that, and, and that was even, you were discussing how uh, AP was rolling out some stuff and they had the, um, the C like the CEO, right? Came out and like delivered a message, right? That's a that's a massive thing because this is this is the number one thing. Howard Schultz had a um 
like a conference. I don't know what you want to call it, right? Set, like it basically looked like a TED Talk. It was set up like a TED Talk. So we'll just say Howard Schultz had a TED Talk about him coming back and the direction of the company or whatever. And I was like, you know what, man? I believed every word out of Howard's mouth. A little bit corporate, but I also still believed every like word out of Howard's mouth. And that like that kind of helps, right? I trust Howard. I don't necessarily trust every other middle manager or, you know, whoever below Howard, but I'll, I'll, I'll trust to do that, like, you know, basically signs my paychecks. Right. Um, but well, you know. well, I want to add to that with when you were talking about AP, and I know we kind of had a back conversation about that, but there was a, a big organizational change in regards to a quality program. And it was going to be a, it was a big change to implement it. It's important to us as a company, but in putting it out, there was going to be some training modules and some other stuff that was going to come. So the CEO went out and gave a video, sent it out, uh, you know, with it written as well. So, mm-hmm. you know, kind of a blog version, written version of it. And he issued this for everybody to see through our training program that allowed, that checked that you is a mandatory thing that you mm-hmm. had to see. But everybody heard Jeff Hansen give this speech. Next, he said, all right, and this guy and this guy will be contacting you next. These two people are going to contact you next. It, with the next steps, with the training, and he kind of walked us through. Mm-hmm. This is the entire company. So by doing that, and then when we got that next level of communication, those trainings came out. And then locally, we had individuals who were also responsible that they'd already talked to to now meet with the different teams to make sure that it happened. In my mind, that was the best communicated option that they could have used to try to get buy-in from everybody. Mm-hmm. No, and it's the same thing. It was a mandatory watch for to see Howard Schultz say two bad words, four-letter words that we shouldn't utter on this beloved podcast. But yeah, right? Like, it, top down. Comes from a trusted source, but, you know, and that's a good thing to have trust in the person that signs your paychecks. And then there's lack of inclusion in the change. Um, it sounds kind of crazy, but a lot of employees want to be kind of included with what goes on at work. And I've seen that when I've worked at Coors putting in production lines. Always at the end, there's always like a pot of money for change orders because all of the frontline workers who are there at the work, they are performing the work. Well, how about this? Why don't I have this over here? Why don't you move this during that whole design process? And they got better at it over the, you know, 10 years that I was there, mm-hmm. but they, there's always that one or one or two specific people who want to add, put their added in there. So with doing that, they're like, why didn't nobody ask me? You know, this is not helping me do my job better. And it's about getting that buy-in. So that's that frustration that they come with mm-hmm. at that employee level of why wasn't I ever asked for this? Right. Like I'm the one that's going to have to be doing it. You got your ivory palace over there. I'm, you know, over here, not necessarily like in the slums, right? But I'm I'm in the iron factory doing the thing. You, you don't have my day-to-day. Let me like run my day-to-day and how I want to do it, right? Don't. Don't tell me I got to start using my left hand because you think it's more efficient. It's not. I'll use my right hand instead. Well, and I will say this, that it's a tough one to do because you start getting too many voices in there. Even if you can balance them out and find one that rises to the top, you're never going to make everybody Everybody happy. happy. But again, 47% for employees, pretty like frontline employees. It's a pretty, like if you can avoid 47% of your headache, that's a good thing to do, right? And those are five, and those are five things that they've complained about the most, right? Yep. And so you go on to like middle managers, right? Or the manager position. 51% of this could have been avoided, right? The, the change headaches that you're getting, the resistance to change, 51% of it said it could have been avoided. And their main thing is like organizational culture, right? They've, they've been working for this company. They've been doing this for, again, probably more experience than some other people, right? 
And they've, they've built a culture that they have, like they've built a, a work environment. They've built a culture at their work environment. Yeah. Well, and at each of those middle management levels, assuming they've got a couple of lines reporting to them, if we're talking middle management, they've built their own culture that should be in line with the company culture. Mm-hmm. But you build those kind of pockets of culture, and it's that book that I haven't wrote yet, mm-hmm. which is about one level up culture. The idea being that that one individual who has spent all that time kind of creating this culture of his employees, even if they're high performing, however they're doing it, then an organizational comes down and says, all right, you're going to do things differently. You are now going to check the box every time that person checks in and out for the day. You know, there's different measurements that maybe organizationally they want that you're now having to do, which goes against your culture of trust and empowerment. Mm-hmm. Right. And without that, then that's affecting that change that is now coming through at that middle management level. And it's just, it's hard, man. It's, it's like, you know, man, I've been putting in the work, right? I should, I've been putting in the work. I should be rewarded, not punished. And it feels probably very much like a punishment when your culture gets changed. The, you know, the next one is really lack of awareness of this change coming. And that's how a lot of times that they're kind of put out mm-hmm. is they're like, oh, hey, by the way, you know, for the last six months, we've been working on this. We're going to now implement it. Now, no communication, no pre-communication of it, lack of awareness, um, or even knowledge of why the change is coming. Yeah. Again, it goes back to the why. When that was number one with employees, but number two with managers, right? Yep. And, and like a, a lack of, so buy-in is the other big thing, because these are the ones that like are going to have to talk to the frontline employees, right? And if you can't get them to buy into what they're saying, or to, to what you're saying, right? You're like, I need you to give this message to the frontline employees because I need y'all to do this kind of, like, I need y'all to do it this way from here on out. And they'll, I mean, they can look at you and be like, now nah, I'm good. And then just keep doing it, right. If they don't buy into what's saying, then clearly the change is not going to happen. Right? It's just, it's just as simple as that. And then, you know, a misalignment of pro or of project goals and personal incentives. Do, does my, does what's going on with me align with what this change is, right? Um, we have a lot of people that work from home that are very excited to work from home right now. Now they're being told they got to go back into the office. Well, does that align with like my goals? What's my incentive to go back to the office if I'm just able to do all the same work that I'm doing right now? Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Like what, what, what's in it for me if I go back to the office? Do I get a raise? No. Do I get like, you know, food every now and then? No. Do I like what, what's in it for me, man? Yeah. We, I, we interviewed somebody recently who says, you know, I pretty much like to work from home on Fridays, like looking to hire on with mm-hmm. us, setting kind of those expectations, but those alignments have changed. Right. And what is, being dictated, you know, coming down organizationally, is it in misalignment for your goals or even your personal, you know, incentives? Why do you come in and go to work and do what you do? Those are the, that's your biggest fear. Somebody's going to change that. Mm-hmm. And then the last one is just being able to manage the change, right? Like you, the, the middle managers, the ones that have to really implement this on the front lines. And sometimes it can just be difficult and or scary to tell your employees to do something different. Well, and yeah. And do you have that, whatever they're asking for, do you have the ability to do it? And also, are you, uh, you know, are you going to look like you're going to fail? Is that yeah. fear of failure? Right. Yeah. And all that, like I said, and that those are, those are like the biggest fears and the reasons for resistance to change. And those are all really good reasons. Personally, like I, I resonate with several of those reasons. A lot of it, like a buy-in is a big one. You know, I'm a big person or a big advocate for why, right? And if I'm not going to, especially kind of being in a middle management role myself, if you can't give me the why and you just tell me that it's the way it's going to be now, that's fine. I'm not going to do it, right? Like you, you don't have my buy-in and I'm not going to tell the people that I'm with to buy into it either because why should we, 
And if the answer to the why should we is not good, like then, then no, like I'm not going to buy on the change. It's not going to be effective. It's not going to happen. Yeah. And that you've talked about that before as you know, as far as you personally, you like to know the why you want it explained to mm-hmm. you, but it's not just you. It's we're in that culture of why. Thank you, Simon Sinek. You know, we need to know why we're doing it. But when we know why we're doing it, we do it with more passion. We do it with more enthusiasm. If we know what our why is individually for our work, but as well as why are we performing the tasks the way that they're telling us to do it? Yeah, right. Like why? What was wrong with what I was doing initially? Right. I, you, and you and you do the buy-in, especially for the middle man. Again, forty-two percent of the middle managers are the ones that they choose. That's that's the biggest thing you can do. Because when I was like, because they can wave that flag, they can create that culture, they can do all of that. And, and yeah, yeah, and I think it comes down to one thing: what's in it for me? Mm-hmm. If we can sell that as part of telling and talking about our our changes, our organizational changes, if they get that buy into what's in it for me is kind of that why, right? Mm-hmm. And how do we get there? So that's really we've talked about how employees and how middle management. Uh, struggle with this ability of change. But with that, there is, and we've got a bit of an acronym to kind of work through that, to be able to effectively give that change communication mm-hmm. to those individuals. Yeah. And what's the acronym, James? It's kind of a weird one. It is it's a bit ad of a car. Ad car. Yeah, it's not very catchy. I don't think it's going to be on T-shirts. No, but uh, so but you, you, how do you spell car, James? Because I think you spell it, it. with a K as well. Yeah. The, so the it's K kind of a strange acronym, but ad car. Remember that, folks. It'll be in the show notes. Yeah. But starts with A is what? A is awareness. Is you know you need to be aware that what is going on is not working, and there has to be a change. And you need to be aware of the reason for that change, right? And that comes down to that culture thing you're talking. Is there a culture of communication between the different levels to talk about the changes that are actually needed? Like, do organizational changes, are they coming from the grassroots, from the from where the work is happening? Or are they just coming because somebody read an article at some management conference? And then they're going to implement it, right? And when that comes down to the trust value in management, but then it also comes down to, you know, a lack of inclusion in that, right? So there has to be an awareness for what's going on and an awareness for how that change is going to affect them. So add car awareness desire. All right. To participate and to support the change. Right. So you have to, I told you, if I don't get a why I'm not, I have zero desire to implement this change whatsoever. Right. And, and that comes down to what's in it for you. Right? I mean, it comes down to what's in it for me because again, I want to be good at my job. I like being good at my job and I like being effective at my job. If you're going to tell me to do something differently that I don't think is just as effective, right? I don't see, I, I don't have an awareness for the need of this change, then I'm not going to do it, right? I just, I'm sorry, but I, I want to be good at my job. And I think this is the most way for me to be effective. Then I do not have a desire to implement this change. And a lot of us like being in our ruts. Mm-hmm. And when you're in that rut, I know for me, I feel like I can work at optimum. I can work at autopilot. I feel like I'm being efficient in that I've made those tasks kind of repeatable. But that doesn't necessarily mean it's the best path because we as humans just like taking that rut, mm-hmm. taking the easy button. We we systemize a lot of those in our own minds. And it's about breaking those systems. But going back to knowledge on how to change. Is that the K in the app That's the K. Not the C in car, but the K in car. Right. Add yeah. car knowledge. And to add that knowledge on how you're going to implement that change is now feeding the why. Why are we changing? Okay, we're going to change for this reason. You now have the desire to change because you know what's in it for you. The next thing is knowledge on how do you effectively give that change. Mm-hmm. 
and like, or as an employee, like what that change in titles or requires of you to do, right? What that change entails. The next thing is ability. And I think this is the one that we talked about on both of those employee and on the middle management was having that ability to affect the change. Mm-hmm. So, and, and, and I'm, I'm going to equate this to kind of manufacturing, but if that middle management, he's afraid now he's going to have to train a new process to manufacture, but he doesn't know the process. He doesn't feel like he's confident he's going to do it. It's that, that struggle, right? That ability. And then that person who's there at the work that's happening, does he have the skills to get there? Are we training them properly? Are we preparing them with the ability to implement that skill and it not just, and I, and I equated it to manufacturing, but it's also the behaviors that come along with that mm-hmm. type of change. Behavior is probably one of the hardest ones to change too, right? Mm-hmm. When you've got those things kind of just ingrained in you, you're just not going to change. Yeah. And I think that goes back to the top of that culture. Mm-hmm. You know, if you create that culture of change, that culture of continuous improvement, that is one thing that helps modify that behavior of being willing to accept that change. Mm-hmm. And then the last one is the most important thing. It's really in any job, anything that we do as managers, as leaders, is really reinforcing that change, checking on it, sustaining it, making sure that it is doing what you want it to do. And then it still has to go back and give that ability to implement additional change if it's not doing what you want it to do. Yeah, like a diet can last for a week. But like after that week, are you going to go back to eating like Buffalo Wild Wings every other Thursday? Absolutely. I mean, yeah, I agree. Yeah. But well, I'm going to go on the Buffalo Wild Wings diet. No yeah. change required. Yep. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But again, it's the same kind of a thing, right? Like you have to, you have to check in, you have to re-up and you have to do all that. So that, that's ad car. And that, that is probably the best way to implement change. Awareness, desire, knowledge, ability. And then reinforcement. Mm-hmm. And it seems really, really simple. But in all of these steps, there is a massive amount of communication. Like, and, and not necessarily just specifically one-on-one, but like one to a group. And then followed up by like one-on-ones. Followed up with different people relaying that very same message that you might have just delivered. Right? Like you can have, you can have Howard deliver this message. And then after Howard says it, you can maybe have like a store manager say it. Then after a store manager says that you need the baristas to sit down and like talk to each other to get that kind of a buy-in to create that kind of a thing. And then you need to, you know, have a shift, say something like that, right? Like you have to get, this message has to get translated to everybody, not necessarily all at once, but effectively, right? And, and continually. And continuously, right? Yeah. Have a plan that starts at the top, works its way through all those levels of management, and then continues to monitor that. You know, it just really comes down to that idea of communication, communicating the change effectively. Mm-hmm. Right. You're playing a game of telephone. And you need to make sure that the person at the end does it properly. Well, and that's what I like about the idea of it coming from the top. The CEO said this. And then now everybody else is trying to implement them at some level in better detail. Mm-hmm. But at least you heard it at the top, everybody as opposed to going through all those managers. That's where I think there's a lot of value in that leader communicating it than just necessarily delegating it. That's why there's always big company meetings. There's big, um, you know, we call them state of the states where our leadership talks to the people that are in that region. Mm-hmm. You know, those are effective because they're hearing it from the horse's mouth. Yeah, they're coming down from the ivory tower to, to come slum it up with us in the iron factory. That's right, the ivory tower. 
So those that's what we have for you today. We talked about our employees. We talked about our managers and how they're resistant to change. I think we gave a pretty simple ad car mm-hmm. model on how to address those communications. Uh, what's our UC moment for today? Our UC moment is just continually and effectively communicate the change, right? This It can't just be like a one-time conversation and then move on. It's, it's, a, it's a one-time conversation. I don't want to say nagging, but like followed up by like consistent check-ins, consistent application, consistent maybe even training as it continues on, right? Effective communication. That's all we got for you today. Yep. See you. Bye. bye.